I thought I would start today with a confession, and uh, I accidentally showed you a picture of it. And um, uh, because we're friends here, and I, I believe that uh, you will forgive me and you won't hold it against me, uh, my confession is this. Uh, back in the late 1980s and early 1990s, maybe a bit more of the 1990s, I used to really enjoy watching Neighbours. Um, is there anyone else here who is a, a Neighbours fan? Um, some of you say, oh, good, we're, I'm in good company. A any of you watch it, particularly in the late 80s and 90s? Uh, some of you are nodding. If you did, you will recognize uh, some of these pictures from those great old days of neighbors. You've got the Robinson family with uh, Jim on the right there and Paul, who is uh, always doing things wrong. And then, uh, um, then there's Scott, and in the bottom corner, there's... Uh, Helen as well. So that was one of the main families on the street during that time. You also may uh, remember people like uh, Harold Bishop. Um, and then the, the Ramses, that was uh, Henry and Charlene and Madge. It's incredible, isn't it? That you re I remember all these names after all of these years. It's quite sad, really, when I look at the things that I forget. Um, uh, and then, of course, Mrs. Mangle as well. Um, great times. Now, if there was an iconic moment in Neighbours during that time, uh, what would some of you have said you'd fans? What, what would you say that would be? The wedding. The wedding of Scott and Charlene. Do you know, it, it was actually just over 30 years ago that it was viewed on British television. And that makes me feel old all of a sudden. But um, yeah, around 30 years ago. And uh, almost 20 million people watched it in the nation. Uh, which, given that it was at 5.35 in the evening, um, is an incredible viewing figure uh, at that time. Uh, and so lots of people were watching it, and it was seen as this idyllic match, the perfect match in soap heaven. And um, interestingly enough, I, I, I am cured of watching Neighbours now, I do confess. Uh, no, that's not a confession. I, I'm, I'm glad about that. Um, but um, I did read up a little bit about this. Apparently, although they left the show shortly after this, Scott and Charlene, um, we, we learned through the show apparently that they had children. And uh, 20 years later, their children appeared on the film as well, uh, on Neighbours. Uh, and apparently, Scott and Charlene are still together. You know, it's a lasting match. And given how often marriages break up in soap operas, it is probably is one of the most perfect matches. Uh, and I share all of that with you because we come today to look at another part of who Jesus is. And this passage that we've read is around marriage and, and, and kind of trying to make this perfect marriage. But what I want to suggest and what we're looking at today is this is about Jesus, who is the heavenly bridegroom. And so as we come to look at this passage, there's two things that I want you to try and look past in the passage. Okay, to, to, to kind of, you know, you get uh, different camera lenses that, that help you focus on different things. Uh, this is what I'm trying for us not to focus on this morning, first of all. Uh, and it's this. This can be quite a controversial passage today uh, because you're talking about the husband as the head, which in this days of equality means for some people that actually they say, well, we live in days of equality. Why should be the husband be seen as the head of the household. Uh, and also it talks about submission of wives, uh, and that equally can conjure up images of abuse by somebody who has the power forcing someone to submit because of it. 
uh, and that equally is uh, unpopular. Now, there are some people who will look at this and say, well, it's in Scripture, it's God-ordained, that's how it should be. Uh, And that's why I say it can be a controversial passage when we come to look at it. Uh, And what I want us to do, first of all, is to look aside from that, look past that today, because what Paul is also writing about is he talks about this image of Christ and the church being married together. And if we get caught up in human relationships, we're going to miss what he's saying about Christ and the church. And today is what I want to focus on, what he's saying about Christ and the church. So I hope we can uh, look past that a little bit. The second thing is this, that what we can do is we can look at our own personal situations within this. Because I'm going to be talking a little bit about marriage and what it might be and the image that Paul is using within marriage. And that can conjure up feelings within us as well. Feelings because, well, some of us here will be married and some people are single. Some people will be here who have lost husbands or wives. Some people will be here who are divorced. Some people will be here who are, I hope many people are here, who are happily married. And there may be people who are here who are unhappily married. Uh, And so the next thing we can do as we approach a passage and we're talking about marriage is that we can be caught up in our own situation. Uh, And I don't want to limit any pain that people have uh, around some of these issues. And we want to be able to pray about them perhaps later on. You may want prayer. We're going to have a time of prayer for people uh, as we share in communion, prayer for healing. Um, That can take place in lots of different ways. But what I'm asking if we can try and do in this time is to look beyond our personal situations as well to come before this image that Paul gives us of Christ and the church. And the church being the bride of Christ and Jesus being the heavenly bridegroom. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me give you a little bit of background first of all. The image of God being married to the people of Israel is in the Old Testament. We read it. Here's an example from Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 14. It says this, this is the Lord speaking. Return faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. So that image is used. We, we can read of it in the book of Hosea, the prophet. Now Hosea is encouraged to marry an unfaithful woman to illustrate to the people at the time that they are unfaithful to God to whom they are married. This image of marriage and God. God married to his people. And what Paul does is he changes that slightly. So it's now no longer the people of Israel. It's his followers. It's the church together who are married to Christ. Christ is married to his church. That's the image that he wants to use. And we read it in a number of verses around here. He, he gives this image. So for the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church his body, of which he is the saviour. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then it goes on to say um, that in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies as Christ loves us. And then for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. That's what he's saying. He's using this image from Genesis 
of a man and woman being united together to talk about what is happening between Christ and the church, a mystery. Now, it's interesting, one of the... um, one of the best books I've ever read on marriage, I would say it's probably the best book I've ever read on marriage, um, by Gary Thomas called Sacred Marriage. Uh, and this is what he says in the, uh, uh, on the back cover. And uh, what I love about it is it, it takes a different direction from most books you will read on marriage. You see, most books you read will talk about techniques and things that you can do, and, and that's great. But, but this is what he says on the uh, on marriage on the back page this is the introduction to it your marriage is more than a sacred covenant with another person it is a spiritual discipline designed to help you know god better trust him more fully and love him more deeply scores of books have been written that offer guidance for building the marriage of your dreams but what if god's primary intent for your marriage isn't to make you happy but to make you holy And what he's doing there is he's he's taking this image that actually God has given us marriage to help us understand more of his relationship with us. And that actually through marriage, something can be revealed to us about the holiness of God that will also change us. Uh, So that's what we're going to look into a little bit more and delve into a little bit this morning. So the first thing that I want to talk about this is Jesus, the heavenly bridegroom, is this. It's about love. It's about love. When we talk about marriage, people get married because of love. Uh, And I believe that the illustration, the image, if you like, of God being married to his people in the Old Testament, uh, of Jesus being, uh, of the church being the bride of Christ, this is about love. If there's one thing, the most important thing we can say about God and his character, it's this, God is love. And so we shouldn't be surprised that this image is used because God loves you and God loves me. We've been, uh, one of the books, or the book that I've been encouraging people to think about reading over um, this time is Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. Uh, And... um, Uh, One of the reasons that I've encouraged people to read it is because I was encouraged by reading it. Uh, And the first chapters in there talk about God's presence. Uh, And some of what Pete Gregg shares actually was part of the reason why I really wanted us to do a time of prayer during Lent. And uh, just before I was ill, it it was one of the things I felt God was placing on my heart for us to come together uh, and share in. And uh, I was so pleased that while I've not been able to help organize it, there have been people who've taken that on. But one of the strands, there were a number of things that were coming together, but one of the important things that I felt God was saying in this for us to do is that, you know, we can be so busy and we're so so busy getting on with things and we do so much in the community and we've heard that we're busy as a church and so on. And I just felt God was saying, enjoy my presence. Come and enjoy my love which we can do as individuals, but we also needed to do as a church. This is one of the quotes from chapter 4 from Dirty Glory. This is what Pete Gregg says. And Pete Gregg is somebody who has led the 24-7 prayer movement, and that's grown throughout the world. And he says this, The most important discovery you will ever make is the love the Father has for you. Your power in prayer will flow from the certainty that the one who made you likes you. 
He's not scowling at you. He's on your side. God's pleasure in us is never dependent on our achievements. He doesn't grade our performances like a wannabe celebrity in a reality show. He loves us because he likes us, and we are his children. You know, he uses that image because God loves us. And actually, we need to enjoy God's love. This is the question that I want to reflect on this morning and for us to reflect on ourselves. How much do we enjoy the presence of Christ? How much do we love the fact that he is with us? There's another story that uh, Pete shares in his book that I want to share, and it's around a tree, and this is a hawthorn tree, and um, I'm going to read it for you because he's speaking about the presence of God, enjoying God's presence. This is what he says. God spoke to me very clearly about his presence one day as I walked down a road near my house. It wasn't an audible voice, but it was unmistakably and unexpectedly him. And so I stopped immediately, mid-pace, right there in the crowded street. God said, look at that tree. I froze and stared at it with my heart racing. Something momentous was obviously about to happen. Perhaps this was to be my burning bush moment, or perhaps the tree was about to fall and I was to heroically save someone. Maybe the Lord was about to give me a powerful prophetic revelation or even an angelic visitation. I stood there transfixed staring into the branches of a fairly average hawthorn, if my memory serves me correctly, hardly daring to breathe. And absolutely nothing happened. I waited undeterred, rooted to the spot, eyes aloft, muscles tensed, while fellow pedestrians gave me sideways glances, probably concerned that I'd lost my cat or cricked my neck or was having some kind of awkward episode. Okay, I'm looking at the tree, I hissed eventually, just in case God hadn't noticed or had got distracted with events in the Middle East. What happens now? But God didn't seem to be in any great hurry to reply. Eventually, a little reluctantly, he said, I just thought it was a pretty good tree, before adding, why do you always have to get so intense about everything? I found myself muttering, nice tree, Lord good job on the tree. I then wandered off down the road, having experienced the most underwhelming epiphany of all time. Uh, And I thought there's something profound in that. That was one of the stories, again, that really struck me, because I thought, if I enjoy the presence of God, and I know that he loves me, there's something about just enjoying spending time with him. You know, and this image of being married, one of the things in marriage when it works exactly as it should is that hopefully you can have in-depth conversations with your partner. But actually, marriage isn't all about having those in-depth conversations. Sometimes it's fun just hanging out together, just being with each other. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything, but you know the presence of the person is there. Sometimes you're getting on with stuff in different places in the house, but you know you are there. Uh, and, And it struck me as I was looking at this and I was thinking about this, you know, it's great that we can come together and we can celebrate together and we can worship God together on a Sunday. It's great that we can have weeks of prayer and we can set aside certain times to pray with God. That's great. But also, he's with us all the time. 
And actually, one of the things that we can do, and I, I've tried it over the last weeks, and it's made a difference to me in my spiritual walk, is there are times when I, I've just been sitting down to watch television, and I said, Lord, thank you that you're here, and we can just relax. And then I found almost sometimes when I finished pr- watching something, I was like, prayed about it, I said, oh, what, what can I learn from that? You know, when we go for a walk, do we go and say, thank you, Lord, that we can, we, we can walk together as we walk, you're here with me. Enjoying his presence. How much do we love his presence and enjoy being with him? What I felt for this week of prayer and why I wanted us to have this week of prayer is we need to grow more and more into just loving the fact that God is with us. Spending time with him. Enjoying his presence. Second thing that I want to talk about, this is a a couple of... um, pictures from, well, where I read on it is possibly the worst wedding photographer ever. ever. You know, it's kind of, um, these were professional, supposedly, photographer photos that were taken at somebody's wedding. That's the um, one picture of the bride. Here's another. Um, The bride doesn't look at the best in these pictures. And... um, the second thing that I want to talk about is the fact that actually Christ loved us, loved us before we were attractive, before we look our best. You know, a wedding day is where people dress up looking their best, and that's wonderful. But this is what we read. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. You see, this marriage between Christ and the church, the illustration that he's using, isn't at a time when we're looking at our best. The the bride in this illustration is one that's uh, wrinkled and kind of not very attractive to look at. That's the church at times. You know, Christ loves us before we're attractive. Christ loves us while we're making a mess of things. Christ loves us when he knows the worst about us. He loves us. You see, that's why um, Gary Thomas in his book on marriage talks about uh, it, it, marriage being that place where we come to understand more of holiness. Because in marriage, you get to know somebody better than you've ever known them before. You get to see not only the best of them, but the worst of them as well. And actually, the idea is that in marriage, you continue to love people, knowing the best about them and the worst of them. And that is what Christ does for us. Christ continues to love us, knowing the best of us and the worst of us. He doesn't wait for us to get things right. He doesn't wait for us to be perfect. He doesn't wait for us to be good. He loves us. He loves us. And actually, if we're called to be like Christ... You know, we can celebrate his love, but in called to be like Christ, that means we're called to love the church as well. So a second point that I wanted us to reflect on is, how much do we love the church? Uh, And I am talking about this church at NCBC, but I'm also talking about the worldwide church as well. How much do we love the church? You see, sometimes people say, well, I can be a Christian. I don't have to go to church, do I? Uh, And in one sense, uh, that's absolutely true. You know, the salvation of God who dies for sinners is there. And as soon as we accept Christ into our hearts, uh, we have that relationship with him. 
He loves us. We love him. Yes, we are Christians. But actually, I think if we're to fulfill who we are supposed to be and to become more like Christ, part of what we have to learn to do and endure in doing is loving the church because Christ loves the church. The church is actually God's at work here on earth. And so if we're going to be more like Christ, we need to love the church. In spite of all its faults, in spite of all its failings, and we are part of the church, and we should be part of the church. Uh, And I don't, as I say, just mean NCBC, although I'm very glad that you are here and part of our church this morning. But we're talking about the church worldwide. How much do you love the church? You know, I think sometimes... We live with the faults and failings. You know, sometimes we can look at church and say, well, it's not as exciting as I'd like it to be. Or it doesn't act in quite the way that I'd like it to act. But actually, actually, you know, what we need to understand is that we're to love the church. We're to love it and to be part of it. The last thing that I want to say is to talk about love and submission. The National Wedding Survey in 2018 revealed that the average wedding in the UK now costs, wait for it, £30,355. Wow. Weddings can be expensive. It can be costly. But of course, it can be costly in other ways. Uh, And this is what is spoken about here Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as church is the he- as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. You see, when we start, let's start with this place because we're going to celebrate it in a minute. Christ loving the church, Christ loving his people, means he sacrificed himself for the church. We come and we remember that in a few moments' time. He sacrificed himself. You see, it's interesting. We talk about love and submission. I don't know if you've noticed that actually within this passage, wives are told to submit to their husbands. They're never told to love them. Husbands are told to love their wives, and the word submission never comes into it. Just because the wife is not told to love her husband, does that mean that she shouldn't? Of course not. But actually what we're talking about, and what I think Paul is talking about here, is two sides of the same coin. Because actually, when Christ loves us and the church, it calls him to sacrifice himself to us. So love is linked with sacrifice. When you submit yourself to someone else, what you're doing is actually you're, you're taking less of yourself and more of them. So you're sacrificing something of yourself. You see, love and submission go hand in hand in the Bible and in Scripture. You cannot love without submitting yourself to other people. Like Christ submitted himself to the rule of God who, who wanted him to go to the cross. Christ submitted himself. Christ submitted himself to you and to me because he died on the cross for you and me. Sacrifice for us. But our response to that is to submit ourselves to Christ and not to do our own will. And that's the framing for a lot of this passage. You know, chapter 5 verse 1 starts with this. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Be imitators 
of him. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So in love, we're to sacrifice ourselves. In submission, we're to sacrifice ourselves. Uh, And he goes on to talk about a number of different things of ways in which we live in a response to the love of God. Uh, He says in verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. This is the call to us because we are to be like Christ. We're called to be like him, and that means loving others. But we're also called as his bride to submit ourselves to his ways and to how he wants us to be. Both lead to sacrifice. And the question that I want us to reflect on, and it's the last question this morning, is this. How easy do we find it to submit to Christ? Are the things that he's calling us to do this week that are difficult for us to submit to? This is our calling. You see, it's a wonderful image that we have of Jesus as the heavenly bridegroom. It's an image of love. How much do we love God and enjoy spending time with him? It's an image of one who loves us before we were even remotely attractive. He loves the church. How much do we love the church? And it's this image of sacrifice that comes through love and submission. How are we at submitting ourselves to Christ? What's he calling us to do? He calls us to become his disciples. And that means understanding and living more in love. It means us loving the church. And it means us submitting to Christ. May he help us to do that. Amen.